are now listening to Podcasting in Pinstripes, the official New York Yankee podcast of Gotham Sports Network. Welcome back to another season of Podcasting in Pinstripes, the official New York Yankees podcast on the Gotham Sports Network. 2018 is in the past, and it's time to flip the calendar to 2019. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Steve Angelovich, and I'm joined by Sam Marsdale. Sam, what is going on? How's that offseason been? Steve, the words you just said have my blood pumping. I am ready to freaking go. Year three, let's rock and roll. The offseason was really freaking long. We got into a lot of the things before the show of what we were going to talk about. Moves like James Paxton seems like they were made an eternity ago. I'll even admit I forgot it happened once or twice throughout the offseason. But baseball is back. Spring training is underway. We are a, under a month away from opening day in the Bronx. And let me tell you, I am absolutely thrilled Nothing like baseball. I can hardly wait for it to get underway. And I am thrilled to be back for season three of podcasting in pinstripes. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. Year three, Sam. We've been doing this for, you know, a couple of years now. It's been pretty crazy how much we've grown. So we want to give a quick shout out to all the fans for, uh, you know, thanking them for their support over the past two years. So please like, retweet, subscribe, share to make season three the, uh, the best and brightest for not only for podcasting in pinstripes, but for the New York Yankees, this has got to be the feel that this will be the first year this podcast will be live during a World Series championship, because that's what we're looking for now. You know, 2017, we kind of got, you know, you know, one game of the World Series and 2018 kind of looks like a letdown, even though we had 100 wins. Uh, but getting our asses kicked by the Red Sox, you know, was was not the ending we we're looking for. 2019, it's the ending we're looking for. It's the World Series or bust. And it's, it's we're getting close, as you said, less than three weeks away here from uh, maybe four weeks, I can't count, from actual opening day. You're right about that, Steve. And last year, even though 100 wins in the regular season, it was a letdown. Getting taken to the woodshed by the Red Sox and the ALDS was not fun at all. But a whole new season, whole new roster, whole new outlook for the 2019 New York Yankees. A lot of new faces. A lot of things are going to be different about this team. But make no mistake, it is one of the most talented rosters in all of baseball, and they are going to be there at the very end. And again, just like last year, it is World Series or bust. Aaron Boone in his second year, I am looking for him to make a lot of strides as manager, and I think he's going to. I hope he proves me right. So that is really what I am looking forward to in the early going. Is Aaron Boone going to make the adjustments he need learn from his mistakes in year one. And is this roster, and I'm going to fully admit, the one that the Yankees had in game one at Fenway last year of the ALDS was quite a bit better than the one they have now, I believe. But that's not to say that other areas have not improved. The bullpen bringing Britain and Ottavino in, or excuse me, Britain back and Ottavino in definitely has shaped the landscape out there. Packs into the starting rotation. There's a lot of new things that I am looking forward to with this Yankees team. And like you said, just about three and a half weeks away before it kicks off in the Bronx. Yeah. And you mentioned his name a few times here. So that's the place we got to start. It does feel like so long ago, but on November 19th, the Yankees made a big, 
big move. And that was trading for James Paxton, the big maple, the big lefty coming to the big apple. Um, and they gave up a decent package. You know, Justice Sheffield was supposed to be, you know, in the Yankees rotation for the next decade. We were excited about him. We've been excited about him since he came over in the, you know, Clint Frazier uh, deal for for um, Andrew Miller. And now he's going to go penciled in there. Our number two guy, kind of the big thing that the Yankees needed in that playoffs was a, a solid number two. Uh, behind Severino, who struggled at the end of last year. But, you know, he the biggest knock about against Paxton is his durability. He's been on the DL constantly throughout his his major league career. He only pitched 160 innings last year, and that was 24 innings higher than his career average. So there is definitely some durability issues here. But, Sam, I think me and you both agree here. We, we, we kind of watched him a little bit last year, too. When he's on, he's one of the best pitchers in all of baseball and most likely one of the best lefties. Um, so the Yankees got themselves a possibly a second ace um, as long as he's healthy. And that's what the Yankees are banking on here as he enters his age 30 season. He locates his fastball. He's got a wicked breaking pitch. And at the time, I really loved this move for the Yankees. And I still do. Everybody was saying, Oh, we gave up just a Sheffield, just a Sheffield. Well, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez in their pre-arbitration years, add Glaber Torres and Miguel Andujar to that list too. The Yankees' objective should be to win now, and that is what this is. James Paxton has two years of team control left, and that is so huge for the Yankees. That's part of why they made this move. If he had one year left, maybe they don't, but they have James Paxton on their roster for two years. And he's got all you want in a pitcher. But like you said, the durability concerns, I'm not concerned by it that much. I think he's going to have a huge season in the Bronx, similar to I I think it's going to have an impact that Chris Sale had with the Boston Red Sox. Of course, like you said, they needed a number two behind Severino, but Severino struggled in the playoffs, like you said, and towards the end of last year. But James Paxton, Masahiro Tanaka, throwing Severino and Jay Happ, you have a very, very solid four. I think Severino is going to bounce back. But I mentioned it at the season-ending episode last year after they lost to the Red Sox. The whole thing of starting pitching doesn't matter, I think, is a total crock and that it's all about the bullpen. That stuff is a total crock. The Yankees had a starter go five innings one time in that Boston series. Coincidentally, it was the only game that they won. The Red Sox had their starter go five innings three times, and they won those three games. So the Yankees got somebody who is a very good pitcher, well above average, pitched in the American League West. While it may not have the best teams, he faced the Astros a lot. He went down to Texas, and even though the Rangers are not a very good team, it is still very hard to pitch in that ballpark in the summer. You know, 10,000 degrees, the ball flies down there. So he pitched in a pretty good division. It's not like he's coming from the NL to the AL where some of these guys have concerns. So I am really excited about this move. I I was 100% in on Brian Cashman dealing just a Sheffield for him. Yeah, and one of the numbers uh, that really pointed at stuck out to me is you know, he's had a 
strikeout per nine. He's 11.7 strikeouts per nine innings, one of the highest in all of baseball. And as you said, that, you know, includes a, a league with a DH here. So it's not like you can discount, you know, two or three of his strikeouts every time for being against a pitcher. So he's got the big game stuff, big maple. He is big game mentality. He went into his hometown of Toronto and pitched a perfect game. A uh, no hitter, I think, this, last year. And, you know, that, that is some, some serious pressure. He had a bald eagle land on his shoulder. I don't think the Big Apple is going to disrupt the Big Maple. And for, for us, it's going to be it's going to be an easy guy to root for. A big left-handed guy. This guy's massive. The Yankees love their, their tall pitchers dating you know, all the way back from when they traded for Randy Johnson and everything. But he's absolutely massive size. You know, 6'4", 230. Coming from the left-handed side. is going to neutralize that short porch when he's pitching at home. And as like you said, it gives the Yankees uh, a more formidable rotation because you can have the greatest bullpen in the world, but if you're down three, three or four nothing every game after a few innings, that bullpen's really not going to matter, uh, as we learned, you know, this postseason. So it's that's a huge upgrade for the Yankees, and that was, you know, Brian Cashman's main objective going into this offseason was they got to fix the rotation and make it better and make it better for the long haul. Uh, real quick, they also. Right after that, they, they signed Brett Gardner and they re-signed CeCe Sabathia. And it looked like the Yankees offseason was, was kicking off real strong with three big moves before anything else really happened. Some people might argue, Sam, that nothing else happened for the Yankees after the James Paxton deal, minus the Jay Happ, Britt, and Ottavino and everyone. Some people were looking for two other big names. Those two names are not coming to the New York Yankees the Yankees were pretty clear from the beginning that those two names were not coming to the Yankees, but there was always some hope out there. So I'm going to kick it over to you here for a, a new segment that we're going to have this year here called uh, Sam's Rant of the Week. And I need you just to you, you did it a couple of month, weeks ago. I need you to just go off about why you think the Yankees should have had themselves a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, you know, suiting up for them this year. But they're, they're they didn't come close. Well, first off, Bryce Harper was the guy I thought they should have been full head of steam after. Remind me what the Yankees plan is in right or excuse me, in left field this year. It's Brett Gardner who looked unplayable at times in left field last year. And then it's Clint Frazier, a guy who, who I believe has had seven concussions since joining the Yankees. So that's their plan in left field. They wanted no part of Bryce Harper. They didn't even buy him an expensive dinner like Not they bought Manny Machado. Not even dinner. They didn't even meet with this guy. I mean, come on. So cheap. You look at the revenue of how the Yankees are shattering records of MLB teams since 2017. And you look at how much of that has gone to the payroll. I mean, it's kind of reminded me of the Mets in some source. It's sad. And then Manny Machado, they just buy him an expensive dinner. You hear all along how concerned they are about Andujar at third base and their all-star shortstop Didi is getting Tommy John surgery. They could have easily slid Machado in the shortstop and then slid him over to third when Didi came back and then let Didi walk and have Machado, who's 40 years younger than him, take over shortstop the next year. I where we're going with this. I don't get – I only bought Machado expensive there and then didn't even come after it looked like per Jack Curry. And you had voices expressing concern about Machado and the Yankees' front office. Well, the Yankees got a closer who is allegedly domestic violence fired – 
his gun around his fiance. So that was okay. But Manny Machado's not. They don't even buy Bryce Harper dinner. Two of the best players in this generation were free agents, and their preferred destination was New York, and they didn't even come close to one of them. Yeah, and I know you could go off for, for, for hours about the subject here, but the reality is they, they didn't. You're right. They didn't come close. They didn't come close. Their, their number for Manny Machado was going to be nowhere near 300, and there was no chance they signed a $13 million, 330 deal for Bryce Harper, even with any discounts <laughs> that either player would have wanted. Um, both were looking long-term, and the Yankees were not willing to do that. Um, and then everybody, everybody kind of blames it on John Carlos Stanton's contract. And, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know how I'm going to you know, judge that. You know, Stanton got a great deal for um, Stanton's deal is you know, going to end up being uh, a 10-year, $286 million deal for the Yankees with the deferred money that goes back to, to Miami. So, you know, paying... Paying that much cheaper, maybe you do want Stanton over the course of, of a decade, but it is weird. This isn't you know, the evil empire as uh, you know the fully operational Death Star that Brian Cashman said at winter meetings. It's, it's, it's different. It's not a Death Star. It's, it's you know, a, a functioning household that you know, makes sure they, they, they spend correctly with their bills and don't go over the top here. They're focused on the luxury tax. They consider that to be almost like a hard or a soft salary cap. But after all that, Sam... I don't like the words cheap. The Yankees spent some serious money this year. They spent over $300 million in the offseason. They, they did. I mean, they, they spent a lot of contracts. Um, you know, like you said, sticking with the rotation in the bullpen here. They gave $17 million a year to, to Hap. And actually, when you look at it, Bryce Harper is only going to count for $25 million a year. You got $17 a mil for Hap. And, and 25 for Harper kind of looks a little silly when you put it into perspective. Those, those, the ages of both those players uh, you know, Zach Britton's getting paid. You know, if he gets his opt-ins, he's going to be over fifty million. Um, you know, they, they, they've spent the money. They spent a lot of money. It just doesn't seem like it's the money that the fans wanted. Um, and for the Yankees and the Cashman, it's pretty simple. It's like trust us, and uh, we'll try and prove you guys right. But if the Yankees don't win a World Series this year, it's going to be the you know they had be a full decade of no titles in New York, and, and that's unacceptable for fans. So the pressure is really on everybody involved in the Yankee organization, from the players they did sign to, to, the, to Cashman and, and the, the, the team brass for not spending the big bucks on, on certain players. And I'll trust Brian Cashman as I do most times. But again, like a lot of fans, I'm a little bit distraught. Chato or Harper forget signing with a, one of them, not even close on one of them, I think is unacceptable. You look at other guys they have brought on. I mean, DJ LeMahieu, $12 million in each of the next two years. I wasn't very fond of that because he's got an OPS for his career away from course field under 70 points. And then, don't get me wrong, I love Gardner, but it costs them $9.5 million for him when you count the $2 million buyout they had from his contract and the $7.5 million they gave yep. him. And he looked unplayable at times last year. So that's $19.5 million. And I know CC really wanted to come back. And you need depth in the rotation. But there were times last year in, in huge games where CC could not get out of the fourth inning. The time he opened the series in Boston in August. The time he opened the series in Oakland in September. The playoff game against the Red Sox. 
So would I have moved on from Sabathia? Possibly, but I'll take him back absolutely as depth. It is just a little irritating that they weren't even close on one of these stars who were the best players of this generation. But, hey, I trust Brian Cashman at the end of the day. They really, I think bringing back Britain was the most important move of the offseason. I thought that going in, I thought they had to bring back Britain and replacing David Robertson's role with Adam Adovino, who is a guy with a ridiculous strikeouts for nine you see that slider on pitching ninja it's like a video game it's like he's throwing a wiffle ball out there so again i like a lot of the things they did this offseason some money i thought was questionably spent you mentioned the j half deal i actually really like the half contract and a lot of fans trashing it are only looking at one start against red sox Fenway. And I get that, but he was so, so solid down the stretch. I don't even know if the Yankees get that home wild card game without Jay Happ because he was a quality start machine. I am very happy he is back solidifying the rotation. Yeah, the, the, the moves they made really solidified that, that they have a, a, a deep roster. Um, and then the, the CC and Gardner ones, those those kind of seem like thank you for the past decade payments um, that could come back and backfire. Um, but I think that what they really did here is they left themselves open for if those two do fail, they they can be active on the trade market. You know, they could go after a Madison Bumgarner if he's there. They can still go after a Trevor Bauer if he's available later on. And it just gives them the flexibility of if CC is, is, is doing great or if, you know, a Jonathan Loisega is doing great. Then you know maybe you don't have to you know spend the prospect cost of getting somebody like that, but I, I think the Yankees aren't done. I think their opening day roster is done, but we'll we'll as the year goes on, I think we're both going to realize that you know the Yankees have been very active on the trade market the past few years at the deadline, so this isn't going to be the final roster that we're going to see going into the postseason. But let's focus on the opening day roster, and you mentioned DD being out until at least June, possibly possibly July, August. Um, and that's going to be, you know, Troy Tulowitzki, who hasn't played in a year and a half. It's going to be the everyday shortstop. And that's something the Yankees flat out told him when they were signing him. They're like, you will be the everyday shortstop. And that included if they were signing Manny Machado, they were going to, Manny was going to be the full-time third baseman. So Tulo has really been given um, kind of a long leash, it seems like, which is interesting given his his injury history. But first step out of the, of the spring training he goes yard off his former team. I kind of like it. He's got, it looks like in spring training, he's got some serious pop in his bat and he's, he's going to be ready to show people wrong that, you know, for 550 K the Yankees could get themselves a, you know, above replacement player until DD comes back and Troy Tulowitzki. So even though he's gotten up there in age, this, this could be one of those we look back on and be like, man, Brian Cashman really is an absolute genius or it could backfire. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> And George Lewitsky had another home run last week, an absolute three-run bomb to left center field, and he had a double to follow that up. So I'm trying not to buy into the Troy Lewitsky hype, but he is an absolute electric factory out there just cheering after these February home runs. You got to love it. He made a nice play ranging to his right and throwing across the diamond last week as well. Looked like vintage Tulowitzki. If he puts up, if he hits 250 and has 15 to 20 home runs this year, that would be an absolute 
steal. Absolute win. And I, I'm not sure whether he can do that. I need to see him do it in the regular season because spring training stats still mean nothing in my view. You see Greg Bird is the best player of all time in spring training, and he, and he sucks in the regular season. But Troy Tulowitzki has shown us a lot so far in the first 10 days of spring training, and a lot of teams were interested. A lot of teams worked them out. And as soon as they signed Tulowitzki, I know they said they weren't out on Machado, but I really believe they were because they promised Tulowitzki that it'd be the everyday shortstop, and that's Machado's favorite position. I know he's playing third base out in San Diego, but that's when I kind of had the feeling. They signed Tulo. He hasn't played in a year and a half. He's played 66 games since the start of the 2017 season. His last full season in Toronto, 2016, 252, 24 home runs. If he can do like three quarters of that, I will not be complaining in the slightest as him being the placeholder for Didi. But if he snaps his ankle the first two weeks of the season, where the hell do the Yankees go at shortstop? I don't think it's a black hole that probably moved Torres from second base to shortstop and yep. then have LeMahieu become the everyday second baseman. Not a bad. So LeMahieu was kind of that insurance policy, but Hey, Troy Tulowitzki, let's see what you got. I'm excited to watch him in the regular season. Sam, I think me and you have recorded more podcasts the past two years than Troy Tulowitzki has played major league games. So that is concerning. That's the biggest thing for him. If he's healthy, then he, then he'll be a fine holdover until GD comes back. And then he'll be probably be a great bench guy. If we have, if we go into the season with a health, if we end the season with a healthy Troy Tulowitzki as a bench player, I mean, that's that's all we could really ask for. If he's a good bench player, that's amazing for his cost. Um, I do want to get into a little bit about free agency in general for Major League Baseball, because Bryce Harper signed only a few days ago after his team played spring training games. You know, Manny Machado signed after the teams reported. And he just this weekend, uh, no, on Monday, he had his first spring training hit. So it is is a weird spring training uh, free agency there. Dallas Keuchel still on the market. Thought the Yankees might be interested in him at one point this this offseason. Craig Kimball, the best closer the past five years, without a doubt in baseball, just won a World Series, still a free agent. 20, 30, 40 guys who are easy MLB bench players, possible starters, still on the market. It came up a lot as we were waiting for Machado and Harper to sign. They got their money, so it's really not about them. But what are you thinking about free agency, the possibility of a future strike and player negotiations going forward. Because even though those two guys got their money, there are a lot of guys that have not gotten paid that should be MLB players. Too many owners are not willing to improve their teams with their own funds. And and we're seeing it so, so much. Teams are not willing to spend money to get better. And a lot of guys who are, MLB players are, are non-roster invitees, invitees, however the hell you say that. <laughs> but tons, uh, right? So many. So many that are MLB caliber are not even guaranteed a, a roster spot in Major League Camp. It's becoming disgraceful. These owners are not spending money. Too many teams are not trying to put the best team out to win. 
And I'm just going to say something about how bizarre the MLB offseason is. The Padres didn't meet with Manny Machado until sometime in January, I believe, late January. What kind of team decides that? The Padres were like for two months, oh, yeah, we're not interested in Manny Machado. And then two months he goes on side. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll take a meeting. I mean, I know this analogy is thrown around so much, but imagine if LeBron and Durant were unsigned in the NBA in the middle of September. I know one league has a salary cap, one doesn't. But to answer your question, I absolutely believe a strike is coming because too many of these owners are not giving the GMs clearance to improve the team with their money. And that's how it's going to play out. It's simple. I think it's that and then the combination of players, you know, like Vlad Guerrero Jr. Uh, and uh, what's his name for the White Sox? Uh, Jimenez, whatever. The, 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 what we kind of did with Glabor last year is we held him back and became, you know, you know, the super prospects get that extra year of control. That extra year of control, Chris Bryant kind of helped write a really good article on The Athletic, if you're a subscriber, to kind of plays it all out there. That and between the slow free agency market, there's going to be I do not want to be in that discussion room, you know, with the, the 2021 CBA because a strike has to be on the player for on the table for the players. You hope it's a couple of years away and they figure it out here because I don't know what we would do if there was actually no baseball, especially when the, the Yankees are going to be all in their prime, ready to hopefully go for back to back to back titles and they cancel baseball and they screwed us over in nine four when they were Yankees were one of the best, better teams there. It literally ended a franchise in the Expos uh, for, for most, you know, reasonings there. So it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be very heated um, and, and it could very well happen. Because like you said, like in the NBA, even in the NFL, players sign the second free agency opens, mostly because it's for max deals in the NBA. So it's easy just to pick a team. Um, but, you know, in the NFL, what we'll see in a few weeks with free agency here, they're going to be the minute things open, teams are going to be signing here. Where, as you said, for the Padres, they're like, oh, Manny's still out there. Yeah. Fuck it. Give him 300 million. We didn't plan on doing it, but whatever. It's July. It's January. It's February. Let's see what happens. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot of baseball talk is going to be off the field um, instead of on the field here, which baseball really needs, you know, with such, you know, marketable players, especially for teams like the Yankees that have the Judge Stantons and, and Glabars uh, of the world. Um, speaking of people that are going to be with the Yankees for a long time, and I think that kind of ties into this. Luis Severino signs an extension with the Yankees. A week later, Aaron Hicks signs a, a long extension with the Yankees. It seemed like both of these players wanted to get a deal done with the thought of possibility of a strike coming. They wanted to make sure they got the bag before that strike happened. Severino buys out one year of free agency. Aaron Hicks was going to be a free agent going into next year. Hicks was the, the bigger surprise. Seven years, $70 million. What are your, what are your thoughts about uh, good old A.A. Ron being in pinstripes for a long time? I absolutely love it. I love Aaron Hicks. He provides so much pop wherever he hits in the order. He's hit one. He's hit two. He's at three, four, five. And he provides so much pop. The ability to get on base is getting on base over 35% of the time. And I love the extension. Even though the durability has questions, it's for seven years. He drug that money out a lot, though, only a 10 million average per year, which is not a lot at all in the grand scheme of things. And 
Steve, you're right. It was a very big surprise to see Aaron sign that extension. And I didn't even think of both of them, Hicks and Severino, wanting to secure the bag before the strike. But Aaron Hicks is a guy who you don't let leave your clubhouse. And everybody was like, oh, Estevan Florial, Estevan Florial. And I saw you talking with a lot of fans on Twitter. He has not played a game in double A or triple A, and he was so injury prone last year. His whole year was basically a Washington injury. You can't tell me you'd rather have Estevan Florial over Aaron Hicks right now. Aaron Hicks last year was arguably the MVP of the Yankees. 140 games of Aaron Hicks is better than 158 games of a lot of center fielders in baseball. I am so glad he's going to be in pinstripes for years to come. One of my favorite Yankees. He just does it all for this team. Yeah, it's it's really tough to it's crazy to see how he's gone from his first year with the Yankees. He was an absolute disaster, you know, and then he, you know, once once Judge beat him out in spring training heading into 2017, we thought maybe, all right, it was a, a wash trade for both sides here. Who cares? Let's move on. And then he got the playing time and he absolutely performed. Yes, his batting average is not that great, but I don't really give a shit about batting average. I get all people who are 50 years old and live in Long Island screaming at me. He only bats 250. Like, who cares? His walk rate is through the roof. He gets he sees pitches. He's going to be the Yankees leadoff guy probably for the next four or five years. If everybody's healthy, he's going to see the base. He's going to be the place setter. He wants to hit 30 home runs this year, and he's one of the best defenders in baseball. Like you said, I, I think I, it would be awesome if Esteban Florial becomes a star. I haven't seen this guy hit off of a non high schooler ever. And no one has anybody else like this guy has been playing down with 18 and 19 year olds, you know, give him the full two years and let's see what happens in 2021. It could be 2022 before we even see him. There's zero reason the Yankees should not make sure they have a center fielder. Like what's the other option? Hicks has a great year and goes to free agency. He's going to be one of the top paid players all next year in free agency. Teams are going to be all after him if he has another good year. I predicted that if he stays healthy next year, he's going to be top 10 in MVP voting. He was 22nd last year. And then some some numbers here we talked about. Since Aaron Hicks has joined the Yankees, he has a better war than Bryce Harper. And I know war is take it, take it as you like it and do the details of it. But it is a decent stat to give you some perspective. If you're bashing Aaron Hicks saying he's not worth $70 million, I think you could use war as a, as a decent, you know, modifier to say he's completely. Yeah, you're right. He's probably worth $100 million. Since in the past two years, Tommy Pham and Mike Trout are the only two AL center fielders that have a better war than Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks missed a lot of time the past two years. So he has not played a full two seasons and he's the number three AL center fielder the past two years. So, you know. I'm all in on Aaron Hicks. You know, he's completely transformed his game. He was the reason why he was a top pick way back in the day for the Twins. They gave up on him. Perfect change of scenery. And now he's here for a great, a great deal for the, for the Yankees. And to be honest, this deal only has to be worth it for the next three or four years. If he starts struggling, he could play all three outfield positions. He doesn't have to play full time by the end of this contract. I'm sure he's he 100% wants to by the end of you know, he's 36, still wants to be a full time player. But, you know, th- this is. You know, I'm not worried about this, this contract coming back and hurting the Yankees. As you said, 10 mil a year. Worst case scenario, it's tradable if we have to dump it. But be, even if he's riding the bench, I mean, look, like you said, we're paying Gardner, you know, 9.5 for this year to be a starting left fielder, but also possibly 
to be a, a fourth outfielder. So in, in seven years, when player salary continues to rise, paying $10 million for a 35-year-old Aaron Hicks is going to be free. So uh, this is it worked out well for both sides. Good for Hicks to get paid. Um, and the Yankees are set in center field for a long time. It's a very similar kind of contract. But, you know, I've kept thinking about Bernie Williams. Like he's a Bernie always kind of gets forget about when you look at the, you know, the core four and the Yankees titles. If Aaron Hicks becomes a Bernie Williams, you know, very similar, you know, um, you know, put him anywhere in the lineup, switch hitting, takes advantage of the short ports when needed. This is a huge win for, for the Yanks here. So that, that, that this is this is free money. And then Severino bought out a year of free agency. Never a bad thing. You know, he, he, we talked about his struggles, maybe possibly tipping pitches and whatnot. But to, to lock in the, the ace for, um, you know, five years, you know, four years and an option for a fifth is an absolute no brainer for the Yankees here. So they don't have to. So while we mentioned they didn't spend too much in free agency as, or as much as we wanted in free agency, they did lock up a couple of their guys and set themselves up for the next five years plus. Going back to Aaron Hicks for a second, the change of scenery for him has really been something that I have been fascinated by. But Steve, how many guys get their change of scenery in New York? Usually it's the other way around. Look, at, I bet you Sonny Gray has a great year. We're not, we don't want to talk about Sonny Gray. I bet you if he's healthy, he has a great year in Cincinnati because of a change of scenery. Yeah, it is so rare that guys get that change of scenery in New York. Yeah. And Luis Severino, definitely in the back of his mind, is that he struggled a lot in the second half of the season. Maybe he wanted to secure the cash for that reason. But I'm not concerned about Seve bouncing back this year. I think he's going to. He's lost some weight. He changed his diet. So maybe that stamina is going to be there. I said forever that they should have skipped his turn in the rotation last year. And they only pushed him back a day at a point, which I think was wrong of the staff. I think they should have skipped a turn or a turn and a half, but I like how he secured the bag. And I think that's going to be a good deal for the Yankees and four years, 40 mil, I think is going to work on their side as well, obviously. And for him, and with the strike, I think, like you said, you're going to be seeing a lot of players trying to get their money. You look around the league, Aaron Nola of the Phillies, another young, blossoming ace. Very similar deal to Severino. Very, very. So I like the move for the team's perspective. I think it's going to work out good for the player perspective, too. And like you said, Aaron Hicks, if that contract when he's 35, $10 million a year, if he's you know, a quarter of the player he is for a fourth outfielder. That's not going to be that bad because everybody is looking for outfielders. Heck the Yankees were playing Shane Robinson for a whole month last year. Did I mean, see him hit a ball off his face. I was just going to mention that he <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth. So everybody's always looking for outfielders. You need depth. I remember for a week last year, the Yankees had, Guys like Greg Bird, Robinson, Gardner in the bottom half of the lineup, it felt like automatic outs from six through nine. So you can't have that. And Aaron Hicks, if he falls off and becomes a fourth outfielder, it's not going to be the worst thing in the world if that happens in five, six years. Yeah, totally agree. And I know everybody wants to see when are we going to lock up Aaron Judge. And I think we're, we're a couple of years too early for that. He's still pre-arbitration. Uh, maybe maybe it's a discussion at some point next year, 
But, you know, that this isn't something the Yankees need to do. And for I think for another two years at least here. So we'll, we'll have to figure that out. Um, get into a little bit of spring training. I think the biggest battle everybody's looking at is that battle of first base. And that's kind of been the Yankees thing the past four or five years since, you know, even with Teixeira in his last year there. Who's going to man first base for the Yankees? It is Greg Bird versus fan favorite Luke Voigt. It seems like it's a pretty one-sided thing from the fans' perspective. But I've been Team Bird many times on this podcast, and that lefty bat still is perfect for Yankee Stadium. Both are coming off and having a strong first opening of spring training. Both will not be on the roster opening day. It's going to be a weird battle where we're going to have to send somebody down. I think Voigt still has the lead at the moment based on last year, and he's hit some two absolute bombs this year early. But uh, it's, it's definitely a battle here that could change before opening day. But it's uh, one that we definitely have to focus on the next three weeks here as before they break camp. Yeah, I think Voigt is obviously in the lead. And like I said, Greg Bird is the best spring training player of all time. Yet he has not done anything in the regular season since 2015. I know you like that swing in Yankee Stadium, but I mean, his body is made of tissue paper. (laughs) And if the Yankees end up moving one of these guys for good, if I had to trade one of these players today, it would be Greg Bird. And yeah, I'll give you that. I'm not making Luke Voigt's six weeks the be-all and end-all, but he showed me a lot of things. He drives the ball to right center. He doesn't just hit the fastball. I've seen him hit the breaking pitch. I've seen him hit the changeup. And when I'm looking at a hitter, those are things that I look at. So I don't think Voigt was a one-year wonder. Do I expect him to have the tear that he had last year? No. But I think he is a starting first baseman. I trust his durability, obviously, a lot more than Bird. I mean, I think the guy's a freak. You see his workout videos this offseason? Yeah, he's a lumberjack. (laughs) And right now, I think Voight has the lead. I think it's going to stay that way. Does Bird have any options left? Do you know? He does. They both do. So that either one, they're not going to go up to to New York with, with both of them. So one of them is going to end up in in AAA, um, and you hope for it doesn't ruin the psyche of whoever it is. But they both have options here, um, and it just doesn't make sense from a, a roster perspective. I think to have both of them, especially when DJ LeMayu can can play first base um, if needed. Absolutely, and I think it's going to be Voigt. He drove the ball, had a deep shot to right center the other day, and. Uh, Dundon, or however you say that city, against the Blue Jays. And I really love that center to right field power. He hits to all fields. And like I said, he's a pure hitter. He's could be a late bloomer, as could Greg Bird. But Greg Bird is, is, is younger. He's still only, what, he's 26, turning going into 27. So, yeah, they're both, they're both still in their, their mid to late 20s here. Um, and as we we just gave Aaron Hicks seventy million dollars as someone who blossomed in his late twenties, you know, Didi Gregorius blossomed in his late twenties with the Yankees. So this could be, you know, you're right. If either one of them could just get their careers really going right now, um, which which is definitely interesting. And I think so, something other teams may notice if a bird does become available on in a, on a on the deadline season. Yeah, you're right. And like we said, both of these could be late bloomers. Void has shown 
signs already of being a late bloomer. I mean, I remember the first time he came up with the Yankees to Fenway for that four game massacre. And we're like, this is real. Like when this guy out in the lineup. I know there's a tweet out there. Me screaming that Luke Voigt was in the Yankees lineup in the first, the Red Sox. And I was not happy about it. And, um, it's, I'm glad it backfired, you know, after, after that season, I'm glad it backfired. Yeah. He started with that two home run game in Baltimore and really he took, it was, he was on fire ever since that. And I've said it before in my rant, I love the center right power and I love how he hits all kinds of pitches. Remember when Cody ransom came to the Yankees He had six home runs in a week. He was on fire, but then pitchers started setting up fastball in and then soft change up away. He had no clue that was coming, but Voight on the other hand, he hits everything, all the pitches uses all fields. And yeah, this is a huge, huge battle. And I think the Yankees personally would like to see bird come ahead in Mm -hmm. that be that lefty bat balance lineup. Personally, I believe they're rooting for Bird, and if they have equal spring training, I'm not going to be surprised if they give Bird the first shot for the first two or three weeks. But Luke Voigt has to be the front runner right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting. We know Brian Cashman has a soft spot for Greg Bird, um, but this this has got to be the end of the line for him. If he if he struggles or if he gets hurt again, it might be the best to to, to cut ties or just bury him down in AAA and see if they can get some trade value for him. Um, but either way, it's going to be the Yankees going to have a stacked lineup with power. So uh, spring training over the weekend, they had a big home run day. Guardy went yard twice. Judge went yard twice. Uh, I think Voight hit one and, and uh, Gary Sanchez hit one when they had a split squad games. And it led to the discussion of can this team break their own record of their own home run record? So obviously, make sure you follow me on Twitter for the hashtag uh, NYY home run tracker. And Sam, I have to agree with the, with the early assumptions of judge and Gardner. They should demolish the home run record again. They did not get enough home runs from judge and Sanchez. And, you know, the, in a second year, Stanton might, you know, put up some serious numbers. They're, they're looking at 270, 280 home runs, I think. Um, and another record breaking year for the long ball. They could break it again, and I think they are going to. Sanchez had a very down year last year. Aaron Judge missed seven weeks and obviously was not the same player when he came. I wouldn't say obviously not the same player, but he was definitely feeling a lot of pain. Of course, he went on a tear in the wild card game, hit two home runs in that series against the Red Sox. But Aaron Judge for a full season, assuming no injury for him or Giancarlo Stanton or Gary Sanchez, or Glaber Torres, one of them's probably going to have an injury, but <laughs> they they broke it last year with Aaron Judge missing seven weeks, and that was incredible to me. And I I think they're going to break it again this year. I really really do. And it's not all home. Like I get it, home runs, you know, home run strikeouts, walk, you know, the, the three outcomes here. Um, and I don't I don't get the people complaining of like, oh, it'll be really good to just have some some contact hitters like, yeah, singles and doubles are great, but so are home runs. Like, get the fuck out of here. I want to see a home run. Um, but they did get DJ LeMayu to kind of get some of that contact hitting. You know, Aaron Hicks already said he wants to hit 30 home runs this year. 
Um, you know, Andujar, you know, is, is uh, he's pretty much contact or nothing when the first like two pitches because he only sees like two pitches at, at bat. So the home run record is definitely going to be um, on watch. So followed on Twitter and then all throughout the season, we're going to be updating the tracker here on the podcast, picking out the farthest home runs of the year, the most home run, most important home runs of the previous week and giving you a, a live uh, countdown to to everything. Um, so Sam, we're a few weeks away here. I wanted to get a little bit into some of the other teams in the division here because the main goal for the Yankees is obviously a World Series, but I think they need to make sure they win the division and get out of that wild card game just just to get out Please. and not risk it. We can't do another wild Please. card game. Um, even though we've won, you know, the last two, it's not worth the risk. You know, if you're gonna you're gonna win 100 games, let's make sure we get the division title here. So let's look at the division. Got to start with the World Series champion Red Sox. They can go fuck themselves. The year's over. It's a new team. They they made some signings. They got you know Nathan Avaldi, the playoff hero they've had. But Joe Kelly's gone. Craig Kimball gone. Unless some miracle happens and he comes back with the Red Sox. The Yankees have one of the best bullpens. Oh no, the Yankees have the best bullpen in baseball. The Red Sox have a bottom ten bullpen in baseball. I think that's going to be that could hurt the Red Sox as as the year goes along. Their starting pitching still great. They got all their main pieces that, that they have. But, you know, Dustin Petroya says he's coming back healthy. The Red Sox, I mean, they might. But I'm going to say Clark now. The Yankee, Red Sox are not winning 109 games again this year. They, they, they got worse, I think, from their, their previous year. Wouldn't you agree? I can only hope. But the Yankees had a huge bullpen advantage over them in October of last year. And look how that turned out. Sure. Cora made the moves to put Avaldi in the bullpen. Price threw innings or excuse me, sail through that inning out of the bullpen. I still have nightmares of him warming up, but they're likely going to lose Kimbrell unless, like you said, barring some miracle. Evaldi, I think his arm could blow out at I think any second. If they get to the playoffs. I think so, yeah. I think that's their plan, is have him pitch as a starter, and then once they get to the playoffs, he's a reliever. Yeah, and he they was a very... They have, like, they have nobody in their bullpen. I can't name half of the people in their bullpen. Yeah, you're right. And I can only hope that J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts both had career years because those two motherfuckers are very, very scary. And please, they, they just need to cool down. They were ridiculous last year. And I think they're going to be a little bit worse. And we'll see. But the Red Sox are still very good. I am still calling them the favorite in the division. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, get, you have to because they're the, they're they're they are the World Series champ. But it's going to be a good division. And for for everyone out there that thinks it's a it's a two team race, I I, I want to be cautious. The Rays aren't bad. The Rays were pretty good last year. They tailed off at the end, but the, the Rays are a good team. You know, they had you know the Cy Young Award winner in, in their rotation. They still got some some good pieces. You know, we mentioned Tommy Pham as being like a, a center fielder out there. The Rays can do some damage, and if the Yankees or Red Sox get caught sleeping of, you know, saying whatever, we'll just get a wild card spot um, if their, their season isn't going as planned, I think the Rays could come up there and, and possibly jump them, which, which would be real scary uh, for, uh, the re- for the rest of the division. Absolutely. They added Charlie Morton from the Houston Astros, a starting pitcher who throws 99 miles an hour. And the Rays won 90 games last year, playing the Yankees and Red Sox 18 yep. times each. You look at the Cleveland Indians, who played college teams <laughs> in their division, only won 91 games. I think the Rays were more deserving of a playoff spot over the Indians. 
and of we, we could get into a two hour episode of how to fix the MLB playoffs, but the Rays are scary. I hate playing at the drop. You saw last year, the Yankees went down to the drop and took three or four in the final week. I could not believe Huge. that. I mean, just looking back at that series, I'd have signed up for a split, but the drop has been a house of horrors for the Yankees. Those freaking cowbells, that piece of shit stadium that Clint Frazier got Cat robbed walks. of all. <laughs> got robbed of a home run off of he was on the short. He was on the barstool podcast, the short porch a couple weeks ago. And he said, yeah, that stadium got me sent to the minor leagues. It I don't yeah. did. Unbelievable. And I don't know, screw that stadium, but the rays are a pesky team. They will get you. Kevin cash is not afraid to try anything. He puts his relievers out in the field and then has them come back in and face the batters. He is ballsy manager of the year candidate. I do not look forward to the Yankees ever playing the Rays. I agree. And they have right now. Vegas has the Rays over under at 84 and a half wins. And uh, I think that'd be a bad season for the Rays. I think they're, they are closer to a, you know, an 80, 88 to 92 win team, which, you know, who, Based on how the year could go, you never know if you're looking for a second wild card spot and it could happen. You know, Baltimore, Baltimore is hilariously bad. Once again, it's they have the worst over under in Major League Baseball. They aren't even projected to win 60 games. So another hundred loss season going down to uh, Yankee Stadium South down at Camden Yards. Um, and then the Blue Jays are going to be an under 500 team. I think they they could be better um, if they weren't playing in the AL East. But they're, they're, for them, it's going to be a focus on when they call up Vlad Guerrero Jr. And if they're looking to trade a Marcus Stroman and rebuild that team here, they have him at 70, 75 and a half wins. I think that, you know, they're going to make some moves at the deadline and they're going to go under that. And like we said, we got to give Boston, got to give Boston the props for being, you know, the champs here. But right now, Vegas has them at 93 and a half wins and it's got the Yankees at 96 and a half wins. So they're they're projecting a three game AL East division win for the Yankees. And I, I know because Vegas has pretty much all of my money, but you don't bet against Vegas. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go here and say I'll, I'll take the Yankees, obviously, to win um, to win the division here. But that's a big drop off for the Red Sox. That's what they won. One hundred and nine last year. And now they're projected at, at ninety three, which I do find a little bit interesting. I find it interesting as well, but again, I'll go out on a limb and say that the Red Sox are the favorite. They're the defending champs. They beat the Yankees pretty good in that ALDS last year. And I think this division is going to come down to who takes care of business with the Orioles and the Blue Jays, because the Yankees struggled against the Orioles in the first half of last year. They turned it up on them towards the end but they need to take care of business against the Orioles in 18 or 19 meetings. I expect 14 and four, you know, 13 and five, maybe, but I'd like 14 and four, 15 and three beat up on those O's. That's going to be the key to winning the division. The Red Sox did that last year. The Yankees did not. That's exactly right. They, they, they the Red Sox really did put it to, to the rest of the division, including us at times. So it's going to be uh an interesting year as always for the AL East and for all uh, for all of baseball here. You know, we're getting close to opening day. Few more weeks. We're going to we'll jump on the podcast before opening day, obviously, once again. But, you know, please share your thoughts of what you guys want to hear this year on the podcast. What are some things that you, you don't want to hear? Um, I personally, you know, would love to hear Sam 
rant as much as possible because he is <laughs> <laughs> because that's how it is. But we're going to be here. You know, the plan for this year is to try and record every Monday night. Um, it gets you guys an episode on Tuesdays every week based on our, our schedules and how, uh, you know, sometimes life gets in the way and we'll figure it out. But we'll be here all season. Um, what are we looking for in the next few weeks leading up to the season from this Yankees team? As, as you know, if you do want to follow some spring training, what are some key things that you're looking at before opening day? Obviously, the bird boy position battle is the first thing I have my eye on. The second thing is if Severino can bounce back, look to be tipping pitches last year. You saw that Ben Harris piece in the athletic that really caught my eye. Those are two of the most important things I'm looking at. I'm looking at how the bullpen does just how everyone performs, how everyone gets acclimated. So we're ready for March 28th. And then a real test is the regular season. That's when I'm looking at a lot of things. Most intriguing storyline this year, I believe that I said at the beginning of the show is Aaron Boone. Can he learn from his mistakes in the first year, not leaving pitchers in out to dry. And that's what I'm looking forward to this year, but spring training, just the development of players. I'm not a big spring training guy, but obviously I'm going to have my eye on the bird boy position battle the most. Yeah. I think everyone will be for me. It's just going to be health. Just be healthy. Get to March 28th with, it, with full health. We got a, a quick little scare of Clint Frazier got hit on the hand the other day. And we've seen what, you know, with, with Judge, how that could be, you know, that could kind of derail possibly a whole season, even if it happens to somebody in spring training. So it's just going to be health. You know, um, I'm not going to be tuning into every inning of spring training, but we'll get the uh, we'll get the, the recaps from everybody else and just be healthy and then get out there and get ready to regular season. Uh, you know, that's what baseball, it's a long season. So it's tough to kind of wait and be patient for it to start, but that's what we're going to do here. So come back every week, join us on podcasts and in pinstripes, send us questions. If you got them each week, we'll try and get to them. Send us thoughts. And once again, thank you for everything. Like subscribe, retweet, unsubscribe, do everything. Tell your grandma, just put it on for her. So when she's sitting there watching Madlock, it's just playing in the background. Either way works for us, but join along for the year and Sam couple weeks you said it march 28th 1 p.m yankees baseball is back oh yeah and i am ready to freaking roll let's go three more weeks i'm hype let's get it here now all right we'll see you guys next weekend see you later toodles toodles